0: Hello everybody, and welcome to the official quit proof podcast. My name is Tom quit proof Jones, and I'm your host. Our goal with this podcast is to give you insights and inspiration on how you can have a happier, healthier, and more productive life. And most of all, not quit somewhere along the way. You can find us on YouTube at Quitproof, Instagram at Quitproof the number 1, Facebook Tom Jones Quitproof and our website www.quitproof.com. Hello everybody and welcome back to the official Quitproof podcast where we have expanded our platform now from a solo co- podcast to including your Quitproof story. And today we have someone that's really special. Uh, her name is Kaylin, and Kaylin is a lung cancer survivor of 12 years. Is that right, Kaylin? And hi, yes, well- I'm
1: going on 12 years.
0: Okay, that's amazing. So Kaylin, can you give us a little bit of backstory on you? Where did you come from? How were you raised? And then we can transition into... Um, everything else from there.
1: Um, I was raised in a tiny little town in Washington. It's called Davenport. So I grew up in a class of thirty. And uh, I met my high school sweetheart and we got married, and we had two kids. I became I was never like into a whole lot of sports, but I did like to run. and um I became a runner. And just starting to do races and um, half marathons and triathlons and started to train um, for for a full marathon. And so that's kind of a, I mean, I was just a small town girl.
0: Okay, that's a snapshot. Now, so since people can't see you and they can hear you only, let's give them an idea of, okay, Kaylin, so how old are you roughly? And when did you get married? And... So that way they can get an idea of, okay, I grew up in a small town. I met my high school sweetheart. We got married when I was how old?
1: I was 23 years old when I got married.
0: So you've only been married for two years. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) I am 41, and I was 23 when uh, we got married. Uh, So we're going on um, 19. No, this will be our 20th year married.
0: Great. Congratulations. Um, yeah. So, okay, so you're uh, when did you start training for marathons and half marathons? How old were you when you were training for those?
1: Um, I was about 27 when I started training for those. And uh, I did my first triathlon and half marathon when I was 28 and um, continued to do them. I was just addicted.
0: Okay, so why did you decide that you were going to start running marathons and half marathons did you just decide um hey i want to do some triathlons and i want to get into running or how did that come about
1: um i had a girlfriend at work that started doing spin classes and got me into doing spin classes i uh, had just had my second baby and so i wanted to get back in shape and i wanted to lose some weight and she thought that would be a great way to get involved and get into a gym and so um they had free daycare there And I would bring my kids there. I would start going in the the morning and then I would end in the afternoon. And then the spin instructor there was also, um, he did Ironmans and he started getting me into running. I had him train me and it was just inspiring watching people race all shapes and sizes and was like, why can't I? So then I just started running and I would run to the gym and run four miles I would do a spin class and then um, sometimes I would adventure home or I'd have my husband come pick me up depending how exhausted I was but it was just something like an outlet and um, and it was a a me time instead of just being a mom
0: sure yeah Yeah. you're giving back to yourself and recharging you instead of uh, always constantly giving 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 and a lot of people don't find that balance in their life so good for you for doing that Did you run a half marathon or did you just jump into a triathlon? I mean, obviously, you had to cycle and and swim as well. So when did you start integrating that training into your training regimen?
1: I did a half marathon first, um, and then I would just sign up for them. And then I would tell everybody that I was going to do them. So then it kept me accountable because people would always ask, how's training going? And I would have to answer instead of saying, I'm not going to do it, um, it made me follow through. That was just my way of motivating myself. And then I'm not a good swimmer. So I had to take swimming lessons. Um, But I just signed up for the triathlon. I was like, I'm doing it. I don't care what I have to do to get there. But um, we're going to do this training. So I just started getting swimming lessons and doing it that way.
0: Awesome. So for our listeners that don't know what a triathlon is, can you tell us what a triathlon actually is? What's entailed in doing a triathlon? So everybody that might be listening that isn't familiar with what a triathlon takes, can you explain to us what that is?
1: Yeah. um, So a triathlon can be all different. There's sprint triathlons, there's regular triathlons, and then there's like the Ironman. And it's a swimming, biking, and then running. So you're doing all three events. Um, You'll start back, out.
2: Back to back, right?
1: Yep. Oh, you just start out um, in the swim and then they have you go in different waves according to your age group. And then when you're done with the swim, then you transition to the bike and then you do the bike and then the run.
0: So, okay. So, Caitlin, let's say that's just a regular triathlon. What does that look like? How far a swim, how far a bike, how far a run?
1: Oh boy. I am like for, oh, what is the swim? For a regular one. It's been so long since I've done one. It's like about, a,
0: <laughs> I think it's around a mile. I know of what the, swimming, And then it, it's half a marathon of running. And I think it's around a 25 mile bike ride. Yeah, so I know I, the
1: sprint and I know the Ironman. <laughs>
0: okay, yeah. Yeah, the Ironman's a full marathon. How far is the bike ride? 100 miles or 75?
1: I, I think it was 75.
0: Right. And then the swim's two and a half miles. Yep. Right. Okay. So um, everything's going along good. You meet your your high school sweetheart. You get married. You have a couple of kids. You're starting to run triathlons. Then what?
2: Um,
1: So I had already done two half marathons and I thought I'm going to push myself and I'm going to continue to train for a full marathon. So I got one of my girlfriends and we started training. Um, I would go out and I would, I had a full training plan. I would do one mile one day. I would do, you know, six miles one day. And it was just the training plan just has you do different mileage Mm -hmm. each day. Pretty soon, I developed a pain in my shoulder. And I thought it was from just working out. Um, I was also in in the
0: back of your shoulder or the front,
1: the back of my shoulder, and then also my neck, I couldn't move it all the way back. But I thought I had just pulled a muscle Um, and then I developed a cough after I would do a spin class or a run. Um, I would cough and cough and cough. And, um, so I ended up going to the doctor and seeing what it was. And they told me I was too young. At the time I was 28, they said, I'm too young, too good in, in shape and too healthy to have anything wrong with me that I looked perfectly fine. And um, so they just said it was exercise induced asthma and a pulled muscle in my neck and sent me to a physical therapist and gave me an inhaler and oh, wow. um, they
0: didn't do any blood work or anything, huh?
1: Nothing. They just oh, wow. shrugged me off and said that I was too healthy. And, and that, that time it was like, I thought, okay, well maybe I just have exercise induced asthma and a pulled muscle. Sure. And, um, about a month went by, I was at work. And I work in a dentist's office and I developed a cough that was, I was continuously coughing. I i wouldn't stop. And you can't do that over patients. Right. Um. It doesn't look good <laughs> in your office. And so the girls up front told me, you need to go in and get checked out again. Um, that I may have walking pneumonia or something.
0: Right. So this was like almost back to back. So you're, you're, you're training, you go to the doctor, they're like, no training induced injuries, go back and just do your thing, take a a physical therapy, you're working at the dentist office, you're copying uncontrollably. You're like, I can't do this on top of patients. This isn't good. Okay. Uh, Kaylin, time to go back to the doctor. So here we are. You go back to the doctor and go ahead. Sorry.
1: Yes. And I was uh, probably about 29 um, because I was 29 um, when everything started. And uh, so I went back into the doctors and they, they said it again. Um, it's just exercise induced asthma and a pulled muscle. And, um, I had my two little kids. I couldn't find daycare. Uh, and so I brought them with me and um, they were three and five and they were really good in the office. And I was like, look, I feel something rubbing against my rib cage. When I breathe in, every time I breathed in, I could feel something rubbing. It was like, It's just abrasive when I would breathe in. And uh, they told me that it was no big deal. I was too healthy. And so I sat there until they gave me a x-ray. I said, I need an x-ray on my lungs. uh, And they wouldn't do
2: it.
0: Okay, so let me butt in for a second because I want to, I really like to, um, I mean, you live this, right?
2: So mm-hmm. like,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm a listener, you know, yeah. So I, I want, I want to like, I always go from, I always go from the point of a listener who doesn't know you, doesn't know your story, knows nothing about you. So just so that we're clear and I'm clear. So you, you uncontrollable coughing, you go in, you you go to the doctor's office again and they tell you, no, 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 nothing's wrong. You say, I'm not leaving until I get an x-ray because I feel like there actually is something wrong. Yes. Right. Okay. Yes. So then they take the x-ray and then what happens?
1: So they took the x-ray and I left. Um, And then we, it was probably about, I don't know, three days later, I was at my son, he was five and we had a t-ball game and I was at my son's t-ball game and I get a phone call from the doctor and he says, "Um, your test results came back from your x-ray. You have massive spots in your lungs. It could be chronic. We need you to come in for a biopsy. I didn't know what that meant. I was like Googling chronic, like, you know, your mind just goes a million miles an hour. What do they mean? What are they doing? Like, why do Do I I have massive spots?
0: Do you feel like you went into sort of like a, a shock? I did go
1: into a shock. It was like a survival mode kind of shock. It was, I didn't really know what was going on. I just kind of went with the flow. And that, you know, that day, I didn't really even pay attention to the baseball game. I was just constantly wondering what the doctor meant by what he said.
0: Oh, I can only imagine how distracted and in shock I would be if I was at my son's t-ball game and I got a call like that. I mean, instantly, as humans, we always think the worst, right? So you're like, oh, my God, what in the heck could this possibly be? And. It's not like they called you in there. They didn't like give you a softball pitch, you know? No. The, hey, you got some massive spots on your lungs. We got to jump on this. Um, They give you kind of really broad brush strokes, which probably scares the heck out of you even worse. Yes. You start doing research and trying to figure out what you could figure out. Mm-hmm. And you went, then I'm making an assumption now. They scheduled a biopsy and you went in for a biopsy. Now, as a listener, I'm wondering, what is involved. how do they do a biopsy? Do they stick something down your throat? Do they cut into you? How's that done?
1: So um, I didn't even know what a biopsy was. I was um, wondering how they would get anything out of my lung, which right. was a scary thing to think of as well. Sure. And um, basically what they did is they went through my back and they put me... I wasn't under, I was awake for it, but I was just kind of a little loopy and I could talk through the whole thing, but they had me kind of lay on this chair and then they went through my back and got a piece of tissue out of my lung.
0: Do they stick a needle in to do that? Yes. Oh, yes. okay.
1: And they go through like the back of your rib cage. Holy
0: crap. Yeah. That's just sounds gnarly i mean just like holy crap okay so while you're going through this help us understand what's going through your mind at that point
1: it never ever ever crossed my mind that it could be cancer um we just don't have a history of cancer in our family and so i never thought in a million years i was running i was active i was healthy Um, I had two kids. I never had, you know, any kind of complications with my breathing, uh, for anything to even pop up as cancer. I had no idea what was, what it could even be. Um, it was just, uh, I feel like you go into a, like I said before the survival mode, and then you just kind of become numb and you just go through the motions. Um, I felt like I'm a very positive person. I am a very um, uplifting person. Naturally, I've always been that way. Um, so I was trying to keep positive, trying to keep active. Uh, but going to the doctor over and over again and listening to them tell you when they told me I needed the biopsy, the doctor that was doing it said your lung could collapse and it's going to hurt if it does. And he didn't have very good bedside manner. Um, and so he he just like was trying to prepare me for the worst. But he said it's going to hurt really bad if it does collapse where the tissue is, there's a good chance that it could collapse. And of course, it did. It collapsed. Um, I lost my breath. They had to put a chest tube in. Uh, and then for quite a while, I had a chest tube, and it would drain. So I would have to wear that until they they would go in and they would take like a um, like you pump up a balloon, and they would try to pump my my lung back yeah. up. Yeah.
0: So basically, okay. So let's kind of drill down on this. Um, I want to back up. So before the lung collapsed, and through the time that they. Told you that you had massive spots on your lungs until they did the biopsy. Do you feel like you were in sort of a surreal state of mind? Yes. Okay. I felt
1: like I leaned on my mom and my, my husband to kind okay. of carry me through.
0: Okay. Now I'm assuming, based on what you told me, that I, it seems like your lungs sort of like a balloon. Yes. And it could pop, right? Uh-huh. And that's the yes. lung collapsing. And yes. if the balloon pops, it hurts. And then from what I understand, I'm making an assumption again, but I want you to clarify it for us because we're all listeners. If they put a chest tube in, they put it in through the front of your chest. They mm-hmm. make a kind of a hole. They bore a hole. They stick a tube in directly into your lung, and then they take a bike pump, for lack of a better word, and they try to pump your lung back up and hope that it holds its integrity. Is all yes. that accurate? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sounds freaking early so
2: far. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then what happened, Kayla?
1: So I wore the chest tube for quite a while. Eventually it did end up, um, I think that what, when they went in and got the tissue for the biopsy, they had nicked my lung and that's what collapsed it. And um, I think it had healed up enough to where my, my lung could inflate and be okay to take the chest tube out.
0: uh, Um, let me ask a quick question now you said uh, the chest tube was in for a while is that like a north american while or Mm -hmm. uh, an egyptian while how long is a while is a while like one month three months
1: i think it was in for about a month they tried inflating it um quite a few times okay and it wouldn't so i probably had it in longer than what i what normally would happen you're
0: walking around doing your daily stuff with the a, a hole in your chest with a tube in it. Yes. And then periodically they go in and take the bite pump, pump it up and go, ah, oh, it's not going to hold air yet. Come back in a week. Yep. Yes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. <this is> all- <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah. So the lung holds air finally, then what?
1: Um. So then I went in for the test results of the biopsy. Okay. Um. They, uh, the, pulmonologist that had done my biopsy sat me down and he my mom and my husband were in the room with me I thought like tuberculosis or you know something
0: so cancer you know? still didn't no, at all. okay never okay. and
1: he sits down and he has these cowboy boots on I remember everything that he was wearing and, you know, he's the guy with the bed, bad bedside manner. And he says, well, kid, you got stage three B, maybe four lung cancer. Go home, spend some time with your kids and go on vacation. You just pulled the short straw and he sat there and then he walked out.
0: OK, so let's pause here for a second. Describe for us what, what instant instantaneously went through your mind. How did your relatives react? Give us, paint us a picture of that moment. So that we can all kind of be there with you. You know, you go in, you sit down, this guy pulls you up and says, okay, um, let me hit you with a wrecking ball. So you get hit with a wrecking ball. How did your relatives take it and what did you do?
1: Um, My mom was instantly upset and mad. Um, My husband was in shock and I was in shock. Um, Nothing really sunk in. I was kind of like, okay, well... Like, are you just writing me off or do we have a plan to treat this? Like, what are we going to do? Let's, let's get going. And, um, we left the office that day and I went home and I was just, I was just in shock and I needed to go, you know, I just needed to go out of the house and I left and I went to my work. I'm really close to all my coworkers and they're like family. And I think it's when it hit me then
2: is like I just broke down. Or oh, I can only imagine. I mean,
0: at some point, it's at some point, the, sur- the surrealness sort of has to wear off. And then all of a sudden, reality hits. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's the moment in time that you're describing for us. Is that accurate? Yes. Okay. Yes.
1: I just broke down and I just remember sitting on the floor in the dentist's office, like just bawling.
0: At 29 years old? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I would think so.
1: And thinking <laughs> about my kids.
0: If that's like, what I was going to say. Now your kids are five years old or six years old at that time? And they were three
1: was, three years and five years.
0: Three and five years old. Boys or girls? One of each. One I have a little each.
1: girl that was three and then a boy was five.
0: Okay. Did you at that point, had you, had, did you feel like quitting? Did you get, I mean, obviously at that point in time, because i am done a few of these interviews now, There, it seems that there comes a time where the fight or flight hits. And yeah. this seems like that's the period, that's the point with you, or that would be the point in this process of finding out where reality hits you, what happened? Did you fight it? Did the fight or flight thing hit you? And what did you choose? And how did that work?
1: I don't feel like I ever felt like, a um, not a fighter. I, I'm a cup half full person. Okay. Um, so I was immediately like, you know, after I got through the grieving of the actual diagnosis and the way he told me, um, I was more or less like, okay, what's our next step? What are we going to do here? After I got done with the sob, woes me, this is happening to me. It was like, let's get, let's get moving. Let's what's the next step. I called the doctor's office. I was like, Hey, who are we going to go to? What oncologists do we need to go to? How do we get this figured out? Do I start chemo? Do I not do chemo? What? What's our next step?
0: So let me ask you a quick question. When you're going through the grieving process and the reality process, did you ever think, why, why me? Did that thought come across the radar?
1: Um. Yes, it did come across the radar. But then when I got to thinking about it, um, I thought about all the other people that have it like 10 mm-hmm. times worse than what I was mm-hmm. going through. I mm-hmm. mean, I had a, A very supportive husband i had a family that was supporting me um i had work that was going to help me out with everything i had people backing me up and i thought why not me why there's there's so many i mean cancer doesn't discriminate and so i had to just go okay there's a reason for this and i'm going to come out stronger and okay. so let's get let's figure out that reason and figure out why why this is happening to so me. So you wanted to roll
0: your sleeves up and get to work. Yes. Like let's go attack this. Let's let's yes. not run away from it and go hide underneath the covers. Let's, you know, let's run to the challenge instead of run away from the challenge. You are proactive in, in finding out, okay, let's get an oncologist lined up. let's get a treatment plan lined up, let's get on this right away. Obviously it's pretty far advanced. Um so what did the treatment plan look like?
2: So
1: when I met with the oncologist, she said, we need to find out if this is a genetic mutation. And, and then she told me that it means that for me being so young and healthy, there had to have been a reason I was never a smoker. I didn't grow, around, grow up around smoking. Um, so I wasn't an 80-year-old smoker. I didn't fit their category of what a lung cancer patient
0: looked like. Okay. Let me ask you a quick question. Does genetic mutation mean that there's some there's either something in your DNA or there's like a sleeper cell floating around that basically activates based on your genetic makeup from your family? Is that an accurate statement? Yes, correct. Okay, I didn't interrupt you. I just Um, I want to get things clear as we progress in the story.
1: So they wanted to find out if I had a genetic mutation because they only thought that that would be the reason why I would have lung cancer and as advanced as it was. So then she told me that to test it, they didn't get enough tissue when they went in for the biopsy. So they told me that I had to go into a different doctor, the only one around in our area who did a bronchioscope. So he had to go and put me under and go down my throat and get tissue from my lung, try to get enough tissue to test it. It was successful. They ended up getting barely enough tissue and sent it to a lab. And I ended up getting an infection from that and having to be put on antibiotics Um, after that. And uh, when the test came back, it was negative for a genetic mutation. So that meant that if I had the genetic genetic mutation, I could take an oral chemo pill and possibly just do it that way. But now it came back negative. So that means that they had to treat me like an 80 year old smoker and do the harsh chemo's.
0: Okay. Which was a very
1: scary process.
0: Oh, I could only imagine. And we'll get to that in a second, but let me back up and ask you, obviously they can't give you painkiller for the inside of your lung. Okay. No. So does this process hurt?
1: It was painful. Um, not as painful as you might think, but it was very sore. And again, You're in this survival mode, so you really kind of your body's just kind of numb. Like I don't remember a ton of the pain. I don't remember. I remember my lung feeling sore, Um, but I kind of just like you block that out.
0: Sure, your Um, adrenaline's got to be going freaking nuts. I mean, you're in such unknown, uncharted territory for the body. The body's got to go on um, hyper alert and and be releasing all kinds of hormones and stuff. Yeah. So, okay. so be- Go ahead. can I
1: back up before that, before the bronchioscope and they found out that it was lung cancer when I had seen the oncologist, they uh, thought it was they had done a PET scan of my body and to see what lit up. When you do a PET scan, they inject you with um, radioactive fluid and then they have you sit there for an hour so that the fluid works in your body, and then they scan your whole body. And then the spots that light up with the radioactive fluid are potentially cancerous spots, so they know where they are at. And my right ovary lit up brighter than anything on the scan. So I had spots in all three lobes of my right lung, in my rib cage, in my hip bone, and on my right side everything was on my right side. Um, my ovary, my adrenal glands, um, my spine, uh, it was everywhere. And so they had said, okay, you're stage four for sure. Cause if it gets into your bones or your brain, um, and it metastasizes in your lymph nodes, then they consider you a stage four. And, Um, They thought I had ovarian cancer because I was a woman. I was young. um, My ovary lit up. So they said, we need to get you in for a surgery. We're going to take your ovary out and test it. And we're going to put your port in because we know for a fact we're going to have to give you chemo no matter what. So I went and got um, a surgeon to get. They had two surgeons working on me, one for my ovary. And then one for my port to be placed. So I just went under one time. One doctor took out my ovary and he said, well, I'm going to let you know that um, we have good news and bad news. The good news is your ovary came back negative. They took my ovary. It was negative. Um, So it was just working at the time of the PET scan. And um, but I had endometriosis. They found that out which will plan a role later on.
0: Okay, so um, what, okay, two things. One is what is a port and where does that go? And, what, and number two is what is endometriosis? What is that?
1: Okay, so um, to have them place my port, they had to put it on the right um, of my chest. So it was above my breast. And mine actually stuck out and was up further, but it's a tube. So it's a little um, tube that's attached to your jugular vein. And then they uh, place this little plastic, it's got three little prongs and it's like a target. So every time they go in to give you chemo, they know exactly they're gonna get your jugular vein to get the chemo into your bloodstream and hook it to your port so then you don't have to get into your veins because chemo will deplete your veins, and then they won't be able to find one.
0: I mean, uh, holy crow. Yes. Okay, so they take your ovary out. They say, we got the good news. The good news, you don't have ovarian cancer. What's the bad news?
1: The bad news is I have endometriosis, which... Endometriosis is um, you get little sore, almost like little sores on the inside, um, little cysts everywhere. Um, and they can attach um, to different organs of your body, and it can cause um, for women to have very bad periods and cramping and almost and you can have trouble getting pregnant. So um, it's very painful. Uh, and it's only in like I think 10% of women. I feel like that's what they said.
0: Okay, so let me ask you this question: Obviously, you find out that you have cancer; it's stage four. What do you tell your kids? Do you tell your kids nothing? Do you? I mean, obviously, they know something's wrong. So, how do you break that egg? What do you tell them?
1: Uh, we were very open and honest with our kids. Um, we have a very strong faith uh, and. So we did tell them that I had cancer, that I would have to go through chemo, that I would lose my hair, that I would be sick, um, but to pray. And um, I feel like cancer can either tear a family apart or it can bring you closer together. And it really brought our family closer together as a unit. I just get emotional thinking about it.
0: Well, I can only imagine. So your kids are like, mom, we got this. Um, is that, was that their attitude? Like they were your cheerleaders or, I mean, did they break down and, and have like distraught moments? I mean, what, what did that look like?
1: They didn't really know what to think the first time around. They were just like, okay, well, mom's going to get sick. Like it's going to be fine. Um, until they like started seeing the process Uh because they had no idea what cancer was we tried to explain it to them and um we were trying to sugarcoat it in a way to not make them worry as much but we want also wanted them to understand that this is a this is what we're going to have to go through and um we'll come out stronger
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: so you know they they reacted more later on
0: how did your husband handle everything
1: uh he was a rock. Like there was times um, when I was going through chemo that I would be throwing up and on the floor and couldn't move. And he's like, get up, you're going to be fine. And you know, my reaction was, I'm going to get really mad at you because this is not okay. Like you need to give me sympathy. And, but the way he reacted was this is only for a season. This is only for a short amount of time. This isn't forever. So right. get up. I made me feel like it was more of like a flu, and it was kind of a tough love feeling.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. And he did that in front of me, but behind the scenes, he said he broke down several times. I can imagine. So he had to be strong for a family.
0: hmm Sort of like when we were in the when I was in the Marine Corps. You know, they tell you, you know, pick up your backpack, put it on your back.
1: Yes, that was a a lot of his.
0: Start start marching this way. Yeah. Okay. Same type of deal. Now, you also mentioned your bones and some other places on your right side. Did they find cancer in any of these other spots?
1: Yes. Everything had cancer. I had. Yeah, I had it everywhere. And everything was on my right side. Nothing was on my left side.
0: So they're just keep piling shrimp on the Barbie here. Yeah. Yeah. And you're already sick. Your hair is already falling out.
1: Well, I hadn't started chemo at that time.
0: Okay, okay.
1: So, then I had the bronchioscope. So, uh-huh. I had the the surgery of the endometriosis, the ovary, and the port first. Then I had the bronchioscope because they found out it was not ovarian. So, they're like, okay, well, we need to find out if it's a genetic lung. mutation mm-hmm. for the lung. Okay. Then the uh, test results came back negative. And then they said, okay, we need to gear up and we need to sit down and tell you what you need to know about this, these chemos that we're going to give you.
0: So then you start going through the treatment, your hair starts falling out, you start getting sick. How long did these treatments last?
1: So I would go in every three weeks and it was six treatments. Um, I would go in every three weeks and they would be about nine hours at a time. So I would go in early in the morning. And I had the best nurses. They would save me a room that had the bed and I would sleep. They would give me the Advan, and they would pump me full of chemo. And then I would sleep nine hours basically. And my mom would sit next to me um, because my husband had to work. And we had my mother-in-law would take care of the kids. And then I would do the chemo and then I would come home. I would be okay for the first uh, couple days and then it would start, I would start going downhill. And then about Monday, I would start Monday and then about Sunday I would be able to go to church, but I would, I would still be
0: pretty sick. What is chemotherapy for a neophyte for somebody like me that I've heard the term obviously a million times. I don't know what the hell it is.
1: So basically, um, I feel like it's just, it's a poison. It goes into your body and it kills anything and everything. It doesn't care. So it's not a targeted therapy. It's going to go in and kill everything. You're, you're at the end of it. You're pretty worn out. Like, you know, when it kills, um, your hair follicles, everything falls out. You look pale. Uh, it's a, it's a poison that's going in your body and it is killing cancer cells, but it's also killing good yeah, cells okay, as well. Okay. And I, I, you know, I remember when I first lost my hair, I sat down with the, the nurse practitioner and she went over all of the instructions of what to expect with this chemo and nothing really hit me until she said I was going to lose my hair. And I didn't think that I would be sensitive to that. But as a girl and um, everything, I think that just made it real and I do remember breaking down in the room with my both my parents and my husband sitting there going through all the sure. steps of what would happen. And um, we have a, a neighborhood that we would have all the same age kids and stuff when we went on a vacation um, camping trip and my hair started falling out. I had my first chemo and then my hair started falling out at that camping trip. Oh, God. and trying to make it not scary for the kids i would allow them to like pull some out <laughs> and put it in the fire just so that they had like oh this is fun you know <laughs> yeah
0: yeah fair enough yeah
2: <laughs> you know get but...
0: a medal on you for making it i mean making something horrible interactive and fun i mean yeah, one way to put it okay so you do these treatments for six weeks you get sick and so and, and so on so then what happens after that? So you take six weeks of treatment, and then then what happens?
1: I did it every three weeks. So it was about six, six months of treatment. And then, um, you know, I would get neuropathy really bad. It's where your hands and feet can kind of go numb, and it's like pins and needles. And so it was really hard to walk. When they would give me the injections in the stomach afterwards, they would give it to you to boost your white blood cells. And since I was so young and healthy, it takes it from the bones and it would make me hurt so bad to the point of I'd be just bawling on the floor crying. And so they would end up having to give me half of a dose. So that was a challenge during that time. Um, but then after everything, then they did, they would do PET scan or they would do CT scans. It was quite a few in the beginning, but at the end they did the PET scan and the CT scan and everything would shrink. Um, they would measure the tumors and they would shrink every time. And then at the end, they called me, um, Ned, no evidence of disease. And I was on a maintenance drug, Avastin. And a bone strengthening because it was in my bones. So I had to stay on that. And so I would still go in there and get treatments. Um, And I did that for about a year. And after that, um, I would get scans every six months and, well, every three months at first, and then every six months. And then they saw another spot coming back. And I had to redo chemo again.
0: And was this spot in your lung again?
1: Yes.
0: Okay. Yes. Now, did you, now I want to go kind of to the quit proof angle of this. Did you do positive self-imaging, like visualization? Did you have positive mantras? Like, I got this, easy day, feeling good, looking good, ought to be in Hollywood. I mean, how did you mentally not quit? Because this is obviously quit-proof. Yes. Obviously, you didn't quit. So, how did you bring yourself through this Mentally, mental strength rise, resilience wise, obviously knocked down uh, seven times, get back up eight stronger each time. Yeah. You get kids. How did you mentally bring yourself through this and how did you not quit?
1: So, it, you know, I felt like every it was a strike against me every time I got positive. Um, when I first started chemo, they were trying to get me sick. Um, assistance because I didn't have very good insurance to try to get the bills to be lowered. And the gal called me and she said, um, I just have to let you know that you're gonna read these um, these papers that are gonna sent, be sent to you. And I just wanna prepare you that we, had, we have to put um, what the prognosis is and you have 18 months to live is what they said. So that I really took hard. Um, But again, as I did before, I was like, you know what? Who are you to tell me how long I have to live? There are a very small percentage that live past the five-year mark of what a 15% or I think it's 15% now that live past the five-year mark. I was like, why can't that be me? Yes. Why can't? Why? Why? is this me in the first place, but why not me? And now why can't I be that, that miracle, that one that's going to do well.
0: Then the way I'm hearing this, and I want to make sure that I clarify and qualify it. You basically dug your heels in deeper and you're like, Nope. So your mantra was Nope, not me, not this, no way. I'm not doing that. Don't drag me into your private hell. That might yeah. be for other people, but that's not so. Your quit proof methodology, if it you will, is is that you just straight dug in deeper and said, mm-hmm. "I'm going to refuse to accept this as my reality, and this ain't me. I'm not doing." Yes, this. Yeah. yes. Okay. And I've
1: always been a stubborn person. My parents will tell you that.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and so I like you tell me no. I'm going to prove you wrong. Okay. And um, I felt like I. I owed it to that first doctor that told me go home, spend some time with your kids, and go on vacation. I was like, you know, if he had told that to the wrong person, they could have really went with it, and then they would have passed away. But to me, it gave me a fight of I'm going to prove to you Mm -hmm. that I'm still going to be here, and I am strong enough, I am capable, and I can
2: do this.
0: Right, because your story is amazing, and and what we want to do is we want to take your story and. And flush out these things, like we're flushing out right now, mm-hmm. um, that basically uh, wouldn't allow you to quit. So you didn't accept that as your reality because your reality is between your two out al- years. What yes. you believe is real is real. So yes. if you believe that you're going to die in eight months, guess what? Don't be surprised when you pull up. And yes, die. exactly. Months. Right. Exactly. If you say to yourself, "I'm fat," guess what? Don't be surprised when you look in the mirror, <laughs> you're fat. Yeah. So. This is so, really important stuff right here. So yeah. your your self-dialogue and your belief system mm-hmm. is what pulled you through to not accept that as your reality. And, okay, I wanted to flesh all that out because it's important, uh, mm-hmm. especially for people that may be going through things that are challenging them to quit. Yes. We want to give them these types of tools to move forward. So, okay. Well,
1: and you know, when you get diagnosed with something and you have 18 months to live and it's everywhere and you look sick and you feel sick. Oh God. And um, I would get myself out for walks. Um, People would tell me, you need to write a letter to your kids. You need to write a letter to, your, you know, your people that you would want to tell something to. And I said, no, I am not going to do that because that is telling myself that i am not going to live past the 18 months and so i really set my mind up that i that this was just a season that yes i had this and yes god is allowing this to happen to me but he thinks i'm strong enough to go through this to do whatever i'm supposed to do after this so I'm going to get through this and I'm going to tell my testimony and I'm going to be strong and I'm not going to give in to those little things that's going to make my mind think that I'm not going to live past this.
0: So important to everybody listening to this mindset is critical. 100%.
1: What
0: what Kaylin is telling us is that her mindset was, I'm not going to accept that as my reality. I am going to live. I'm not going to write letters to people. And, and and basically seal my own obituary here, I'm going to live through this and I'm going to tell them in 3D and real life of what's going on. So your mindset is your, quit. Th- th- those were your quit proof tools. Yes. You have the mindset of surviving and you were going to survive this. Obviously, if you're saying that to yourself, you're visualizing yourself on the other end of this, being healthy, being through it and being told that this is in remission, everything's going to be okay. So everybody listening to this, this is what this podcast is about. This so, is extracting this stuff from, from Caitlin, Kay, who has lived it. So go ahead. I'll shut up now. Go ahead.
1: So back to when I was training, it it really set me up for success during this, because not only was I training so hard that my body was physically fit and ready to fight, but Mentally, when you're going to do a race of a half marathon or a full marathon or triathlon, you have to be mentally prepared. And when you're hurting at that whatever mile mark, you have to push through and you have to know that there is going to be good at the end of the tunnel of this hard process. And so I feel like that really set me up for success. During chemo and going through this process, because I kept going back, okay. When I'd go to a race and I'd get to this mile mark and I was exhausted, I knew that I could get past that and then it would be over. So that whole process really helped me through it too.
0: Because you had pushed through barriers before, and I can tell you from personal experience, Kaylin, I've run 347 marathons. Oh my now. goodness. Um, so I can totally resonate with that. And another thing that I want to say before we go on with this is, is that when you, when you put yourself through a crucible, which is what you did, was a crucible mm-hmm. means that you're like heating metal up. So you, mm-hmm. you, you break it down and then you forge it into something stronger going forward. And so you had put yourself through crucibles before and then you use those tools that you acquired back then to help pull you through this. Is that accurate? That is very accurate. Yes. Okay. Good stuff. Yeah. So, okay. So go on.
1: Okay. So I, when it came back, um, I had to sit down with the doctor and she said, we need to go. Well, so I came back and I went back to my doctor's office and I said, um, I need a schedule with my oncologist. Then I got the test results. It came back and they said, your oncologist no longer works here. So I was out of an oncologist that had gone through everything with me. And that happens quite frequently in the medical field. People leave, um, but I was not aware that I needed a new oncologist. So I ended up going to a different clinic. I sat down with her and she wanted to put me back on some chemo. So I had to do more chemo. I had to do another six rounds of three weeks at a time of chemo. And at that time, my body was just not as in good a shape as it was before because I hadn't been working out like I was before and I've already gone through chemo and I was already, you know, depleted and um I really took that hard because I thought I was done with the fight and I wasn't done with the fight and I had to go through all of that again and that's when my kids when we sat down and told them you know mom has the cancer came back and it's we're going to have to do this again and they did end up you know, breaking down and crying.
0: So everybody had to be resilient. Yes. Kids had to be resilient. You had to be resilient because you have been knocked down repeatedly to this point and you had Mm -hmm. got stronger each time, stronger each time, stronger each time, told you were okay, And then they come back and then they tell you at some point later, no, it's come back. I mean, that has to be a freaking serious. I mean, the original blow is the original blow. But when you think that you're through it and everything's okay and then they come back and they take the sling blade and cut you off at the ankles again yeah what do you go I mean what did you go through mentally and what pulled you through that what was your reaction what happened
1: well you know my reaction was I was mad I was mad um that I had to go through it again my husband um, was upset he was more emotional the second time around. Um, my kids were more, more emotional, but we're like, okay, we're going to do what the doctors say and go through with it. And I, there was a point at the second rounds of chemo that I was on the couch and I couldn't move. And I was so sick and I didn't lose my hair with that one. Cause it was a chemo that I didn't have to lose my hair, but, um, it, I, I was just So, so, so sick. And so I went into the office and I was mad. And I said, if you're going to tear my body down and continue to give me chemo, what are you going to do to boost me up and bring my body back?
0: Great question.
1: Yes. And she said, we don't do that here. And I said, I cannot continue with the chemo anymore. I have to find a different route. And she said, she looked at me and she said, Kaelin, I know you're a cup half full kind of person, but you need to look at the big picture. It's everywhere. And I said, I do understand that. And my husband and I went home and we prayed about it and we are on the same page and we are not going to do any more chemo. At that time, it was everywhere. It was in my liver, in my rib cage, in my hip bone, in my lungs, in my... Other ovary and my adrenals, it it was everywhere. Chemo wasn't working for me. So I elected to try to do some holistic treatments. Um, I got on vitamin C infusions. I did hydrogen peroxide. um, And I would do those quite frequently. I would do those a couple times a week. I had a doctor that would help me with those. And those end up getting very expensive and so i and i saw a chiropractor i started seeing a whole, another um nutrition um holistic doctor that had me on several supplements and things were making me feel better but it wasn't taking the cancer away like it i was too far advanced that to catch up to that that i needed something more um so I did some research and I found a clinic in Reno and um, I, the only thing is that we depleted our savings. We depleted our 401k. We depleted every um, benefit that people had done because he, it was so expensive. Like I depleted, we depleted everything. We thought we would lose our house. And um I was so mad and I went for a walk and I was basically yelling at God, like, why am I going through this? Why is this happening to me? And, um, I heard have faith, just trust me. And I came home and I was like, my husband, I said, this is what I heard on the trail. I don't know what that means. I don't know what it looks like. But this is the clinic I'm supposed to go to. I know I'm supposed to go to this clinic. And he said, okay. And I looked on Facebook and he had put a gift forward and we needed $50,000 before and two weeks to go to this place. And before like an hour goes by and I look and my, um, the people I went to high school with, you know, I had 30 people in my graduating class. We were all pretty close and um, they were challenging each other to give. And pretty soon there was $13,000 and then we were part of a home group at church and somebody gave us $5,000 and then there was $1,000 in the mail. And then they did a yard sale and it was $8,000. And then by two weeks we had over $50,000 to go to this Reno clinic. And um,
0: backwards. Wow. Yeah. Good for for the home team. Okay. Yeah. Cool.
1: So um, before that, they wanted to radiate spots in my lung. So I did do re- radiation. So I've, you know, I've got like little tattoos on my skin and then they go in and they um, have beams that go in and then they radiate. So I've got a lot of scar tissue, a lot of scarring in those areas um, that didn't work. Uh, it just continued to grow. Uh, so, I, you know, I depleted every option of conventional treatment that they're was at that time um so i wasn't against conventional treatment it just wasn't working for me and so when i did go to the reno clinic i had dreams of a doctor coming in to the room and saying uh system Platin is the drug for you but we need to look into how you're thinking and i woke up and it had spelt it out in my dream and When you go to the Reno clinic, they extract your blood, and then they send it to Greece. And there's a lab over in Greece that we don't have in the States. And then they extract the cancer cells, and they harvest them, so they grow them. And then they test everything under the sun, any supplement, any chemo, anything, that you would be sensitive to, not what your tumor markers are, not if you they put you in an 80-year-old smoker category, what you are sensitive to. So they treat you like a blueprint for your whole your body.
0: Yeah, it's custom and, treatment. And it sounds like chemotherapy is like standard treatment. And this is these are this is a standard operating procedure. And so you went to a custom shop. Yes. And, wow, that's advanced stuff. So they take the blood, they, they isolate the cancer cells, they grow the cancer cells, and they're like, we're going to try all kinds of crap on this thing and see what kills it. Yes. Okay. Yes.
1: And then, um, so I went over and I got the test results from that and the doctor walks in and he, it was my dream. He goes, well, we're going to give you system platin. That's a drug for you, but we need to look into how you're thinking. He goes, I know you feel like you're positive, but all this stuff coming at you, you need to really work on how you're thinking. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was being positive through this whole time. But when you are going through that process and through everything of people telling you all these negative things, you don't even realize how you're thinking or how you're acting. You're just going through the motions. So I had to really sit down and go, okay. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is how I'm supposed to be. And I'm going to come out of this. Like, let's work on how I'm thinking. And um, so that was confirmation. I was supposed to be there that it was my dream. And um, I also later on, I had a dream that we were going to have a red rental car. And I get there and we had a red rental car. My husband thought that was funny. Um, So it was like a confirmation after confirmation that I was supposed to be there. And actually, over there, they did do the vitamin C infusions. They did the hydrogen peroxide. They give you vitamin B um, and glutathione mixture. And they also do IPT, insulin potentiated therapy, which brings your blood sugar way down to the point where you're almost shaky. And then they inject that chemo that you're most sensitive to, the cisplatin. And they only give you 10% of what you would normally get over here. So it's a very low dose. So you don't get all of the side effects um, that you would normally get. And it weakens the cancer cells so that it can target those cancer cells a little bit more.
0: So basically what they do is they give you a watered down dose of chemo to hit the cancer cells. And then they beef up the other side of your body with all these vitamins and all this healthy stuff. So they're basically attacking it from two ends or two sides instead of just like, here, we're going to kill everything and then hope to God it goes away and so on and so forth. That makes a lot more. And I'm not knocking any conventional therapy whatsoever myself either. To me, this sounds like a more um, advanced, responsible approach to it. So, again, we're not. Knocking anything or anything like that. We're having a discussion here. Okay, so you're getting the holistic treatments. They're working on the mind. They're working on the body. They're giving you light doses of chemo. Okay, take us take us from there.
1: Okay, so I was there for three weeks, um, getting those treatments done, and um, I came home. And then they have you on a maintenance drug. So they put everybody on a, a oral chemo of what you would be most sensitive to. So again, over here, my markers um, came back negative um, for any genetic mutation, which meant I did not qualify to take an oral chemo. Um, Over there, my markers tested very well to the, the cancer cells tested very well to this oral chemo. And so I... Since I went over to Reno and got my testing and it tested well, they put me on it over here, which then my insurance would cover it. And over here, it wouldn't because I tested negative. So there was something about testing my actual tumor versus growing the cancer cells and my cancer cells reacted well to it.
2: So um,
1: I was able to take an oral chemo over here. I take it twice a day uh, morning and night and uh, it's for lung cancer. And, uh, I had my first scans. And, um, so before that I would, I got back, you know, we did our vacation and like reunited with our kids because our kids didn't go with us. And then, um, my husband and son went on a boy scout trip, And thought I would be fine because I was doing really well. I started on the oral chemo. And I started getting massive side on my right side. I would get pains um, that looked like it was right where where they had went in, where the radiation was. It was like a knife stabbing me on the side. It was so painful. I would be so sick. I would be throwing up sick from the pain. And I was like, what's going on? And all my markers, all my blood work was coming back great. And one night I had my daughter and my I had to call my mom to come get me. And she rushed me to the hospital. And I go into the hospital and they tell me nothing's wrong. They had done a chest x-ray. They said they couldn't see anything. Nothing's wrong Was sending me home. I was still in this horrific pain. It's the worst pain I've ever had. And then I get to the car and a nurse runs out after me and she says, you cannot go anywhere.
0: Was it your appendix?
1: I had blood clots in my left lung. They were not looking in my left lung. They were looking in my right lung for anything because everything was on the right side. My left lung was referring pain to the right side and it was painful. I had a ton of little itty bitty blood clots in my left lung. If I had gone home, and those dislodged, I would have not been here. So they were sending me home and they stopped me at my car and they brought me in and they put me on blood thinners and I had to stay in the hospital for quite a
0: while until. Those... How did they discover blood clots in your left lung? How did that happen?
1: They took a chest x-ray and okay. um, they were only looking at my right lung. But then a doctor had looked at my left lung as I was leaving and notice there's a bunch of little ones.
2: Oh, gross. So,
1: yeah. So I was in the hospital for a while. And that took care of the pain. I had to be on blood thinners after that and give myself shots in my stomach twice a day <laughs> after that. Um. So I was on blood thinners for quite a while. And then I was also on the oral chemo. So I was on the oral chemo and the blood thinners. And I was doing really well. I was starting to, you know, get... Uh, my energy back, and um, starting to you know live a l- normal life. Another thing that I would like to say with my mindset is, I my boss didn't want me to work through the whole thing because he wanted me to focus on my health. I elected to go back to work at my fourth chemo the first time around because I wanted to feel as normal as possible and have that mindset of I'm not quitting, I'm normal, I'm gonna get through this. And so he would allow me to work the times that I felt good and then take those weeks that I did the chemo off and then I would go back to work. So I would I would wear a hat and I would um, do my normal routine to keep my mindset going.
0: Yeah, because in your mind, you wanted life to be as normal as possible in abnormal circumstances. Another great quit proof tool, by the way, for our listeners. Yes. Uh, OK, so. Uh, you're taking the blood thinners, you're taking the orals twice a day, and then what happened? Yeah.
1: So I'm feeling great. I'm throwing birthday parties for my kids. We're going on vacation and I I go on a, we go to this hot springs with our kids and we come back and I'm feeling off. And um, I'm like, I don't know. I, we missed my period. And so I took a pregnancy test. I don't know why I did. But I I was pregnant and um, I never thought in a million years I could get pregnant. And I go into the doctor and I tell them I have a fever and I'm, you know, I'm like I'm pregnant and he has this panic look on my face. I mean, I'm on chemo. I am on blood thinners. He's he basically tells me that I need to abort the baby in order to continue with the chemo because the chemo could damage the baby. And I said, I don't believe in that. Our faith doesn't believe in that. And so I'm going to elect to get off chemo completely and continue with the pregnancy. He understood he, in his mindset, I think he was just looking out for me and my life and my my husband and I were like, no, we, we need to follow through with this. And so I got off all chemo, all blood thinners. And I said, okay, if this is what it's supposed to be, we're going to do this. And I was, um, I went in, I had testing, baby was healthy. And then at 14 weeks I ended up miscarrying.
2: Oh my gosh. Okay.
1: So, um, we think that it could have been the endometriosis that possibly made me miscarry um now that i look back at that but i elected to stay off the chemo um and see how i did i uh, doctors didn't want me to do that they wanted me to get back on chemo and continue to do that but i was like i this is a lifelong thing and I need to see how my body's going to react and I'm going to do okay. Um, at the one year mark, I ended up going in for a PET scan and the PET scan back, came back clear. He said it was no evidence of disease, even with being off chemo. So I elected to stay off chemo. And I'm uh, probably, um, I don't know, six months later. I go back into another doctor that doctor left. I found another doctor and he says that it's starting to grow and that I need to get back on the oral chemo. So I ended up getting back on the oral chemo. Um, During that time, I think my body was just reacting to having a miscarriage and like the shock and everything. And then I started to get panic attacks every day for about a month, I would get panic attacks every night at 8pm. That was probably worse than chemo going through that. Uh, My kids watching me not be able to do anything. It was like my body was reacting to everything that I had gone through. And it was finally catching up to me. I was in the survival mode. And I was strong. And I was, you know, going through it. But then I get to that point, And I was like, everything was just breaking down. And I was having to deal with all these emotions that I hadn't dealt with before.
0: Right. So you suppressed everything. And then at some point that catches up with you is what I hear you saying. I, I'm a former world champion prize fighter, and I know what it's like to be up against the ropes, getting punched out.
2: Mm-hmm. And it sounds
0: like, so now are you 32 by this time or? Let's
2: see. It was about
1: five years ago. So it was about 36.
0: So you have been on the ropes getting punched out for about six years by now or so. Yes. Plus a miscarriage and I mean, on and on. So you're getting heavy blows. I mean, you're not getting, you're not getting just kind of covered up and getting work. Like you're getting tagged.
1: Yeah. And I, it felt like that. I I felt like when I got pregnant, that this was finally this joy that our family needed Mm
2: -hmm. and that it
1: was like, this miracle happening after all of the storm and, um, kind of like a rainbow baby. Like it, this is our, our joy. Right. And then to get hit with a miscarriage and then all of the panic attacks and everything that went along with it, it was like, wh- why is this happening? What, what did I do to deserve this? You know, all oh, you're
0: those, getting worked. Yeah. You know,
1: and all those so- questions.
0: Were the panic attacks just paralyzing to where you were just paralyzed and panic? I
1: couldn't. I couldn't walk around. My husband would try to get me to go on walks, and I couldn't get past um, the block that our neighborhood was. That um, they tried to put me on Anavon, and I couldn't take that because I felt like I would be too loopy and not be able to breathe. I, I basically sat in our our room for like a full month trying to cope do the the coloring books and worship music and like work my way out of this because um i knew that like i needed to work through my emotions but one thing that i feel is lacking in our system is they don't focus they put you through this with chemo and they say we're going to get you through this we're going to get you through this but there's nobody they don't they don't point you in the direction of coping with Everything that's coming at you, they just, you know, give you poison and and drugs basically right. to get you through that point, And then they don't see through the rest of it. Sure. And so I they're felt not, like we're not important. dealing
0: with one aspect of what happens when this happens. They're dealing with the medical aspect of it. They're not dealing with the psychological aspect of it. And at some point it catches up with you and that's the big wrecking ball. And so drum roll, how did you get through this? What was your, what, what, how did you quit proof your way out of this one?
1: Baby steps. I told myself, okay, I'm going to get through this one little thing. I tried to live in the present, not the past, not the future. Um, One person I told me, you know, any of us can go out and get hit by a bus the next day. And then that's gone. Like, You have to live in the present and you have to go baby steps. So I would get myself to go, okay, I can eat this. I'm going to, you know, color. I'm going to do this, this, and this today. And then I'm going to make it through the next day. And I also did a visual where I would put on um, armor, basically, on my body in the mirror. It sounds silly, but it's like the armor of God. Like you're putting on your helmet. You're putting on your vest. You're putting on your, you know, and it was a visual of nothing's going to penetrate through this and get to me today. I am going to get through this. And it also helped you know me strengthen. And it lasted about a month of those panic attacks. But I came out stronger. I'm able to see people who have anxiety and are not able to cope. I can see that. I can detect that. I can comfort them. Um, There's a lot of really good like you have to look at the good that comes out of it and the people that I encounter that I would have never, ever met if I hadn't gone through these things. And I have the best, closest friends that either I've lost to this disease or I am still in contact and, you know, walking them through processes.
0: So. We're going to pull this back into a quit proof thing again, because you're using a lot of the quit proof tools Mm -hmm. that we offer people. So you're using positive self imagery. You're Mm -hmm. putting your armor on. You are taking something that's overwhelming and you're breaking it and you're chunking it down into micro goals, which we Mm -hmm. teach as well. Um, And then you're having positivity saying to yourself, I have my armor on. Nothing can get to me today. Yes. So you're basically reprogramming your mind using these tools. And um, and it's interesting because I have a friend that's going through a, a procedure coming up. And I texted her this morning and wished her luck and so on. And she said there may be a glitch in what's going on. I won't know until I get there. And they do the procedure. And then I'm... An insanely avid reader, like mm-hmm. way too much, but it's all positive and so on. So mm-hmm. I, I study Marcus Aurelius quite a bit. And and so I just texted her back. The obstacle is the way hyphen Marcus Aurelius.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's
0: interesting because I'm having a deja vu moment with you and you're telling me the same thing. The obstacle is the way. Yes. Right. Because without yeah. this obstacle, all of this other stuff wouldn't have happened and became available to you and so on. So um, I want to make sure that we're telling your story, but we're also pulling and extracting out the quit proof parts of it. And this is one of those moments. Yes. Okay. So then now what happens? (laughs) This is a crazy book, but okay.
2: (laughs)
1: So after I get through the panic attacks and I'm, I'm living pretty normally, I um, and go back to work and I'm living good and then um I start getting um some pains on my left side and like ovary area and um so I go in and I get checked and they say that I'm forming cysts on my ovary and I'm trying to do it a holistic way I'm getting on different um supplements and you know I've During this time, I've always looked at my eating and my, you know, health regimen from the beginning of when I got diagnosed, I started studying everything possible that I could do, Um, juicing and vitamin C and like you name it, I was doing it. So I go in and I get checked and they said that my endometriosis has gone crazy and it's everywhere. They said that I probably will need a hysterectomy. So I go in and I find this doctor that one of them um, there's only usually I think he's the only one around this area that will he cuts out the endometriosis instead of cauterizing. And so it's less likely for anything to come back. And he has a really good success rate. He was hard to get into, but he got me in and he did the surgery. They I still have a port. Um. And they use my port to go in and give me the um, anesthetic or sleepy juice to fall asleep. And he does the procedure and it's successful. I come home and I'm starting to heal. And about the third day, I'm having these complications that I spike this high fever. I'm throwing up. I'm on the floor. I can't move. I call my husband. I say, I feel like I'm going to die. You need to get me and take me to the ER. And so he comes home from work and he takes me to the ER during this time. It's COVID. And so he has to just drop me off and hope that I'm okay. And they do a bunch of tests on me and they find out that I was septic. Explain to
0: us what that means just for people that don't know.
1: Septic. I had like a bacteria in my bloodstream. My body was so torn down from the surgery that it just went haywire and they needed to figure out where it was coming from. I had either an infection somewhere or, um, I mean, basically something in me was infected and they had to find out what it was. So they did a bunch of tests. They figure it out. I'm super sick. They pumped me full of antibiotics. This was not this last December, but the December before, they find out it was my port that was infected. Oh, wow. So, um, I'm in the hospital for five, well, six days, I think it was, and getting pumped full of antibiotics. And, um, they, uh, I had, I got off chemo during that time, um, to give my body a rest. And they say, we need to take your port out um, and see if that helps. So they did. They took my port out. I got to assist on that. <laughs> they didn't have enough staff. <laughs> they didn't have enough staff because of COVID. So he well, let God me... knows you
0: had enough experience by then. <laughs> so yeah.
1: Yeah. He let me, you know, assist with it. So I got to help extract my port out of my chest. And... Okay. Um, <laughs> And uh, it ended up being the port that was infected. So um, after that, I've been pretty good. I had a scan just recently and it was NED, no evidence of disease. I still am on that oral chemo and I probably will be until I decide something else happens to me.
0: <laughs> so those are light doses of chemo. So basically septic means that your your body becomes toxic
1: yes yes
0: okay i just want everyone to know and that. if you
1: wait a certain amount of time you it's
0: oh it's you'll die dead, yeah you'll die for sure i mean your body basically becomes a cesspool and it can only last so long that way gosh okay so you no evidence of disease and how long have we been no evidence of disease again
1: um since so f- five years six years OK, yeah, That's a good yeah. run
0: Compared right now. To what you've been through. That's a damn. Yeah. Good run. <laughs>
1: so now I'm starting to run again. I did a 10K. Well, um, I did three miles this morning. I have been mm. um, working out and, you know, lifting weights. Uh, I've got goals that I want to reach and I feel amazing.
0: Like hey, all the good news. Yeah. So let's get to some more good news. So, Kaylin, you and one of our previous guests, Katie,
2: Uh are starting a
0: podcast. Can you tell us about this podcast and what that's going to be like and and we'll be on the lookout for that?
1: Okay, so I met Katie um, during her journey and I had just gone to Reno and somebody gave her my number, said you need to meet Kaylin and figure something out on where to go. So I met Katie and gave her info on um, the clinics that I had gone to and just kind of mentored and like she's mentored me. I've mentored her. It was nice to have a connection. And then as we go through this process together and we're going to these oncology clinics and we're finding out like what needs to change, what needs to be, um, addressed, what do cancer patients really have a hard time with what I wished That somebody was out there that could guide me through what I was going through, but I was all by myself. I didn't have a clue what was going on. I had to navigate on my own. And I know Katie felt that way as well until we met and then we kind of talked each other through it. So we, um, this, every time somebody says something about a cancer or a panic attack or something they've gone through that's a traumatic experience, I feel those feelings and it's like it's a me too and we want it to we want a podcast that shows people and that you're not going through it alone we are too me too and so the podcast would be called me too cancer me too and we want to um just help people get through that process bring awareness to what's going on um in the cancer field and um, just be that support.
0: Katie is another cancer survivor of a seriously gnarly story. And if you wanna hear her story, it's on our yes. podcast as well. So you and Katie, me, you bond, you work through this process together. Then you ask a, an incredible question. And I just wanna cry because you ask the question, what's missing, how can I help? Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. So the way that you decided with Katie that you could help is you could create a podcast and you could create a community of people that are going through similar circumstances and you could pull your resources together and you could help them help themselves and this community could grow and everybody can help each other and get resources. And it's interesting that you say this because in ancient times, of course, I'm this weird reader, right? <laughs> so in ancient times, what what people did was when one, one village had a problem, what they would do and you're doing the exact same thing and this is why it's really cool and i want to say it because what you're doing is the same thing you used to do in ancient times when one village had a problem or your village had a problem you and katie what you're doing is you're you're becoming elders and and you're so all of the other villages in the area would pull in the elders from those villages and they would all get together and that community would then work on solving the problem so that's what you and katie are co- creating is this community where people can come in and you guys can basically work as a group to tackle this instead of just one person and one person feel alone that nobody knows what they're going through. They're isolated. And that's incredible. So uh, what's the timeline look like on all this?
2: Um,
1: We are working through it. We're not sure. So uh, Katie's on vacation right now. And when she gets back, we'll talk it through, but we're hoping soon
0: we will keep on this and we will update people as you update us. Yes. Um, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll be the hub for now. And we'll keep in touch with you guys and we'll, you know, we'll let everybody know. And as soon as it goes like live and on, we'll let everybody know and we'll do the best we can to get the word out there. Kalen, what an amazing story. Um, Is there anything that you want to add to this before we, before we wrap it up?
1: No, just when you're going through things like this, um, any traumatic event, just have grace for yourself. Know that it doesn't happen overnight, that you do have to do the baby steps and you do have to do the legwork and you do like, you can't just expect to lay there and have people do things for you. You have, you have to have, you have to boost your mind up in order to get through it and you have to want to.
0: What I'm hearing you saying, and this is very important, you know, because I've said it before with other people that we've had, is is that this is your health. Yes. So you must take responsibility for it.
2: 100%.
0: That's what I heard Katie saying as well. These are the tools that you use to pull you through it because Mm -hmm. you didn't wait for your limo driver to drive. You took the wheel and drove. And and I think that that's a very powerful thing that you and I don't care what it is in life. You have to take control of it and you have to drive it, whatever that means. And that's incredibly profound and that's uh, incredibly pertinent. That actually matters. Mm -hmm. So if you are out there and you're going through this kind of stuff, reach out to us. We will try to put you in touch with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and get this thing started and we'll we'll help out in any way possible. But I think it's a really profound and really important what you just said is that you're responsible for your yes. health. Don't sit there and you rely on everybody else to take care of it for you. Yeah. Get up off your butt and get on it.
1: And, you know, having a strong faith, I think a lot of people go, well, God's going to heal me or God's going to do this and it's going to be a miracle. And yes, he does do those things. But you have to do the legwork. You have to. He doesn't just do it. So I, I strongly am an advocate for people proactive and having grace for yourself and just getting through it. Grin and bread, you know, like just get through it. So what I you
0: saying is God gave you the tools. Now go out and use them.
2: Yeah. Don't, you can not rely sit. on
0: God to do it. God gave you all the tools you need. Mm-hmm. Go get to work. Amazing. What an amazing story. What an amazing message. You are like all of our guests. You are the epitome of Quit Proof. God bless you. Ten ten medals on you and your family and all your support system. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll just wrap it up by saying, you know, our podcast here at Quit Proof is to give you the tools and the resources that you need so that you don't give up, give in, tap out and quit. Because pain is only temporary. Yes. But I think, Kaylin, you'll agree with me that quitting lasts a lifetime. That's right. Okay, everybody. Thanks again for sharing your story. Yep. Join us again soon on the official Quit Proof podcast where we're going to come out with another compelling story. I'm so glad that we expanded yeah. our platform to include your Quit Proof story. If you're listening to this and you have a Quit Proof story, let us know. God bless you. God bless your family. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you. Again, you can find us on YouTube at Quit Proof, Instagram Quit Proof, the number one, Facebook, Tom Jones Quit Proof, and our website, www.quitproof.com. If you like what you're hearing, then hit that subscribe button and recommend this to your friends.